1: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen took a clean sweep in Mustang Country at the bend. There wasn't a single pole for the Red Bull Holden driver, but he was too good in all three races, including a wet and wild finale. That helped Holden secure the manufacturer's title with plenty of races to spare. There was controversy, meanwhile, due to a batch of tyres given to wildcard drivers Zach Best and Jordan Boyes. We'll have plenty more on that later in the pod. It was a clean sweep in Carrera Cup as well, with Sonic driver Aaron Love winning all three races. When the racing stopped, the Gen 3 testing continued at the bend, which included Nick Percat driving a Ford supercar for the first time in his career when he cut laps in the Mustang a Prototype. It was the first time he'd driven any sort of Ford since he raced in Formula Ford in 2009. Erebus Motorsport has re-signed drivers Will Brown and Brody Kostecki on a fresh two-year deal. The pair will therefore be Erebus drivers until at least the end of the 2024 season. Speaking of Kostecki, he's set to make his Trans Am debut at Queensland Raceway this weekend. He'll drive the Tim Shaw Rowan Camaro that Shane Van Gisbergen was banned from racing by Triple Eight. Boost Mobile boss Peter Aditon has vowed to pull all the brand's sponsorship out of supercars at the end of the season. Aditon said as much in a social media post that followed a photo of supercars chair Barkley Nettlefold with Chaz Mostert at an Optus store. Walkinshaw and United has confirmed that Fabian Coulthard will partner Chaz Mostert for the Bathurst 1000, while Warren Luff will join Nick Perkat. In other co-driver news, Matt Charter Motorsport has locked in Jay Robotham to share the MCM entry with Charter himself. The Adelaide 500 has been formally launched in the South Aussie capital. Super 2, S5000, TCM, and GT World Challenge Australia will support supercars, while the killers are the headline music act. And big news in Formula One with Fernando Alonso set to replace the retiring Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin next season. That's likely to be very good news for Aussie Oscar Piastri, who is expected to slot straight into the Alpine lineup alongside Esteban Ocon. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more as a teammate that can always sniff out the stickiest tyre in the batch, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, I can imagine you were very jealous watching us all gallivanting around the land of Stobie Poles and Daddy Mal over the weekend.
2: Hello, Andrew. Well, as good as the great state of South Australia is, I've got to say the weather didn't seem that
1: appealing to me over the weekend. Didn't look too good out there. It was pretty cold, i got to say. it was Actually, the funny thing is you always just expect Winton to be the, the coldest round of the year, but the weather was beautiful at Winton this year. The Bend, not so much. Obviously,
2: you went to the Bend in the hope of meeting your favourite state premier. Did you uh, get to do that or what?
1: I didn't actually get to meet uh, Big Pete. We called him Big Pete, but a shout-out to uh, Cam from the Bend. He, he, he informed me that his proper nickname is Daddy Mal. He was there on the Sunday, uh, and I don't know if you saw this. He did have a go at... Waving the checkered flag at the end of the Carrera Cup race and kind of forgot to unfurl the flag and it really it really didn't go all that well. So that was um that was a bit of a low light for the big fella out at the bend on the weekend. But anyway, before we get into the action and everything that happened at the bend, let's kick things off with this bombshell Formula One news that's that's broken in the last day or so. Um, we've known that Sebastian Vettel is retiring at the end of the season for a few days now. Congratulations to Seb on a wonderful career. He'll retire as a four-time world champion, which is a pretty incredible haul. Uh, Fernando Alonso, meanwhile, just keeps on keeping on with a sensational and somewhat unexpected move to Aston Martin. And just like that, the path is clear for Oscar Piastri to move to Alpine next season. Stefan, how good is this?
2: Yeah, it's awesome. Like, what a twist in the Formula 1 silly season and such a good outcome for for Piastri, obviously. Like, we're expecting him to be in that Alpine seat and it's such a more exciting prospect, I think, than that of him going to Williams. At least Alpine are there, sort of in the mix. Uh, But it looks like a bit of a gamble, From Fernando, right? I mean, Aston Martin are pretty much nowhere at the moment. It's not really a convincing setup they've got going on there. So I guess it was a case of Alpine only wanted to offer Fernando a one-year deal. And uh, as soon as he saw an opportunity to tell him to shove it and go somewhere else, he took it.
1: It does sort of feel like maybe he saw some writing on the wall somewhere, whether it was for next year or the year after or whatever. Definitely a gamble because, as you pointed out, just so inconsistent that Aston Martin. You know, you think back to Melbourne this year, that car was a complete dog. They seem to have made some gains somewhere but still pretty track-specific. I think just talking about Melbourne, the really important point, and I've made this before, is that, you know, when we, if this Piastri thing comes together and there's just no real way to see how it won't, when we get to Melbourne next year, we're actually going to have a Melbourne driver at the Melbourne Grand Prix. Not a driver from Queanbeyan, not a driver from Perth. We're going to have a driver from Melbourne on the grid, and I think that's going to take the atmosphere to another level. That's going to be um, a pretty cool thing.
2: Oh, for sure. That's a, a big win for, for the Grand Prix here. That's uh, that's for certain. I, I would say as well, though, that it's a shame to lose Sebastian Vettel from Formula 1, I think. Like, yeah. uh, it's probably fair to say we've already seen the best of him on track, but uh, he's such a great character. <laughs> Offered and a great ambassador for Formula 1 Then I think uh, F1 will be poorer without him in it
1: Couldn't agree more All right, let's dive into our debrief of the Bend Super Sprint. Um, Stefan, this was sort of seen as a big opportunity for the Ford teams to breathe some life back into the title battle. 10 wins from 11 races heading to the Bend for Mustangs. Um, There was certainly plenty of blue oval car speed over the weekend, particularly from those Tickford rigs, but... Shane Van Gisbergen and Triple Eight, but they were just too good again. It was the classic overcut strategy and excellent tyre management that did the job in the dry conditions. We've seen it so often this year from Triple Eight and from Giz. I just wonder when the other teams might actually catch on to the trick. Uh, and then in the wet, man, he was just sublime. Stefan, is this game over for the title? I mean, it sounds like such an obvious thing to say because it's felt like it's you know he's going to cruise the title you know pretty much all season. But is it now really done? Oh, it's, it's definitely his
2: to lose, isn't it? But um, there's still a lot of racing to go, a lot of points on offer, so I uh, wouldn't like to call it over. But like, you sound uh, like, like a like- driver. <laughs> well, like Shane said on Sunday, um, the big thing for him is to just have that comfortable gap going to Bathurst where he can really mm-hmm. let rip and try to win that race and not worry about the points. So that's... Um, That's where he's wanted to be and he's got that gap now, hasn't he? Like the the 300-point sort of margin is what he wants. And on the weekend, he opened it from, what, like 274 to 393. So that's a big big win for him there. And I think going back to the strategy stuff you were talking about, I mean, it's one of those things like the car speed those guys have got um, really – opens your strategy options, doesn't it? Yeah. It makes you look pretty clever when you've just got that speed to use one way or another. So it was another weekend where 888 were fast straight straight away, straight out of the blocks for practice, and others were a bit on the back foot. Obviously, they did test there, which um, was a little bit controversial in the lead-up with that rookie test. Mm -hmm. But something that Shane was talking about also on Sunday that I found interesting, he was talking about the fact that um, Andrew Edwards, who's joined him this year after being at Brad Jones Racing, had said that uh, he doesn't even feel like he's a race engineer at the track this year because they're not really making many setup changes during the weekend. It's all the work and prep that gets done beforehand. And uh, if you look at, say, like DJR's weekend, they were really up and down and chasing the cars. It sort of felt like their peak speed was probably, the package was probably good enough, but they just couldn't find that sweet
1: spot. So, yeah, yeah, it was just another one where 888 were, were quick out of the gate. The, um, let's have a chat about that wet weather race because it was an absolutely spectacular race, particularly in the early stages between, um, between Cam uh, where Anton was there for a while, but then it was sort of Cam and Shane going at it. I guess the only thing that kind of ruined it at the end was when Shane got through, he drove away from him pretty quickly. So it kind of went from going, look at these two blokes on the absolute limit to being, okay, well, maybe one guy was keeping a little bit of spare change in his pocket there. The funny thing is that Giz swears that he hates racing in the rain. He talked about it in the press conference on Sunday night about how much he really just doesn't enjoy it. Do you buy that or is this part of that mental game that he just plays oh so well?
2: Well, he's been consistent on saying that throughout his whole career. So um, to be honest, I do take that as at face value, but it is strange because he's so good at picking the grip level in those changing conditions and, uh, out there at the Bend, it, that looked really difficult. Like some of that surface yep. was like glass, um, at least through the TV to look at. Um, you couldn't see any, like any variations where, where the grip might be. So the drivers were talking a lot about needing to be in the tram tracks of the, of the car in front. And I think that did help make that first 10 or 12 laps of the race so exciting because a couple of times when Shane got in front of Cam, he just lost the tracks and then lost the confidence. So... Um, There was a bit of back and forth, but then, yeah, Cam said he had a bit of fogging issue with the windscreen from there and maybe that didn't help him. But it was interesting too that Shane pointed out that the top three at the end um, all have dirt racing experience with with Brody mm-hmm. Kostecki up there as well. You yeah. uh, you do a bit of uh, dirt. Uh, I don't know if you call
1: it racing, but uh, fanging <laughs> around these days.
2: You reckon there's something in that?
1: I reckon there is. I reckon there is. I raced the Formula Ford in the wet for the first time in 15, 16 years the other weekend, and I honestly think that skidding around on dirt helps a little bit. It definitely helps. Now there's obviously something in it for those guys, but it's a confidence thing. You know, the uh, the aggressive drivers, the guys that are are comfortable with the car moving around a lot they're the ones that are always going to go well in the wet so it's quite unsurprising to see the three guys sitting up there that were sitting up there every driver will say they love driving in the wet they'll say that they are comfortable with a car that oversteers but the proof is in the pudding when you got those three blokes who are renowned for being aggressive and for being able to drive a loose car um, sitting up there in in the press conference at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, and, and Chaz was probably – he's the other one you put right in that uh, yep. set for being uh, so good in those conditions and he sort of let himself down with that contact with with Will Davison, although I did love how like Will was um, spinning backwards towards the gravel and still like got on the radio button and yelled, Chaz <laughs> like he was Homer Simpson about to strangle Bart. <laughs> that was fantastic.
1: Uh, I will cover off Will's efforts in the, in, the, in the third race later in the pod, but um, – there was some quite you know I, I mean david reynolds his burn from the back of the grid was amazing james golding going incredibly well in the wet it does sort of throw up those those funny Performances somewhere, and I mean, Davo. Yeah, he was facing backwards at three different points in that race and came on fourth. But anyway, we'll cover that off later. Let's go back to race two. So the first race on the Sunday, um, that start line crash, Stefan that's that's scary stuff. It's always scary to see a crash like that. The good news is that both Tommy Randall and uh, Andre Heimgarter emerged without any serious injuries. They did head to hospital together in an ambulance uh, on the Sunday afternoon, so that uh, Tom could have a sore ankle checked and Andre had a CT scan on his chest. But there was nothing too serious. Came out of that I have been chatting With our favourite Castrol driver Tommy Over the last couple of days And he actually Hurt his ankle On impact And hurt his knees When they hit the bottom Of the steering wheel And actually pushed The steering wheel up Quite a bit He had another MRI Yesterday Arvo On his ankle Due to some ongoing swelling But it looks like It's just some soft tissue damage And, and he will be fine for Sandown, Stefan, what did you make of the whole thing? There was some interesting chatter about the in-car warning system afterwards. You know, some drivers like Nick is straight away. He was involved in the crash. He straight away said that he's worked. He knew from the in-car warning uh, system that there was a stalled car, and that's why he was hard against the wall trying to go around. Um, but Shane Cameron Brody all said in the press comments that they didn't see anything until they got to Turn Two, um, and they were quite critical of the system. Is this is the system really to blame here, or do we maybe need to look at how people are using it?
2: Yeah, by the sounds of it, there's uh, a bit of team stuff in all of it. And I know those uh, those driver comments did raise some eyebrows among officialdom because uh, race control have quite a good system to deal with this and it's an automated system. So yep. the MoTeC system detects that a car is stalled and sends out the yellow signal to all cars. That's automatic. It doesn't need to be uh, a button pressed uh, in race control or anything like that. So we've got the officials basically saying, well, the signal went out to all cars within two seconds of uh, Thomas Randall stalling. And then some drivers are saying they saw it and some say they didn't. So clearly there's going to be investigation as to why that is. But I do think one of the issues is the way the system was implemented a couple of years back. So when Supercars first introduced it for the Bathurst 12 hour in 2019, they mandated that the warning lights had to be on a standalone shift module, like right in the sight line of the driver. But when they introduced it for the Supercars Championship, the teams being teams wanted to do things their own ways. So some run the separate shift light module on top of the dash but some integrated into their existing SLM either on the dash itself or the steering wheel so I reckon this sort of stuff they need to clean this up now with Gen 3 and actually mandate where that's got to be and at least take take some of that
1: team variable out of it because that could well have contributed here. Yeah I had an interesting chat with an engineering type afterwards that suggested that the, the, the programming of the dash uh, was likely to be responsible for that inconsistency so that's definitely something that um, supercars needs to needs to get on top of with the teams. There was some good old-fashioned tyre controversy on the Saturday. Now, Stefan, you have to bear with me for a moment as I try and as succinctly as possible run through how this whole thing unfolded. Um, so within seconds of Zach Best taking that, Um, that shock pole position on the Saturday, my phone was blowing up with messages from disgruntled people uh, in the paddock telling me to maybe go and ask some questions about the tyre batch. Uh, It kind of immediately made sense that something like that could have contributed to a result like that. I mean, the the Tigford cars were clearly hooked up, um, but for a rookie to go out and beat, you know, Cam Waters in the same hardware and, beat Shane Van Gisbergen and so on and so forth was a is a pretty big ask, even on a good weekend. So it turns out the two wildcards were on a batch of soft compound tyres that were manufactured late last year. The rest of the field was on tyres manufactured specifically for the bend earlier this year. Now, apparently the older batch is a bit faster. I say apparently. It's the same compound, all that sort of stuff. But batches do differ. If you believe what you hear in the paddock, um, Erebus used some of the tyres from that batch during their recent rookie test at the bend and found a fair bit of speed just from the tyre. I guess that all checks out with the fact that that Best did take pole. Um, so how did this happen? Whose fault was it? It's not necessarily anybody's fault. Dunlop ordered the tyres for the bend in January for 25 cars and didn't know there would be wildcards until something like eight weeks later. At that point, Dunlop flagged the supercars that the tyres would have to come out of an older batch. And that was, um, from what I hear, that was okayed. Um, Anyway, once it became an issue, there needed to be a solution, and the solution was to give everyone a mix of not two but three batches of tyre in the end. So Kevy Fitzsimmons, the supercar's boss at Dunlop, spent Saturday night driving from the Bend to Melbourne and back to pick up tyres from a third batch. Those tyres were then distributed through the field, as were the wildcard tyres, which had been handed back. The regulars all gave one single tyre back so they could go to the wildcards. Then everyone basically had the same. You still following me here, Stefan? I know this is <laughs> incredibly <laughs> confusing. Do oh. you have any questions at this point about how this all played out? Or well, Other than uh, how much do you love tyres, that's always
2: my question, but if carry I, on.
1: I, I don't, I don't. No, that, look, so that's that's where we got to. I guess the fact that um, if Zach Bess Zach hadn't taken pole, there probably would never have been, you know, it might not have become so obvious that there, there was an issue. I certainly wish that um, I did hear an anecdote of somebody who had Five bucks or ten bucks or something on Zach Best, and did pretty well out of that, given he was paying five hundred and one dollars for pole. But um, yeah, was, was what, that what, you? What did, by the way, was that? It was not. It was not me. I'd be having a week off if it was me, mate. I wouldn't be sitting here working. Um so What did you? Uh, what did you make a, a, of of how it all played out, watching from afar, there, Stefan?
2: Well, I think you're being pretty kind, saying it's no one's fault. Like the whole idea of a controlled tire in a category is a level playing field. And the category just failed to provide that on Saturday. So I think, um, you know, Mark Scaife said it pretty well in the telecast that it was an embarrassment for the sport. And I was impressed that he said that, to be honest. Like, good on him for, for being on the front foot with that. Um, having different batches in play at one event is something they ordinarily avoid because they know it can be a problem. Yeah. So it seems like supercars thought it would be okay based on the fact that um, if there was a difference, the older batch you'd think that the wildcards got would be a little slower. So, yeah, it it shouldn't have blown up like it did, but clearly the opposite was the case. And Zach Best was able to take pole and then just pretty much drive away from the other blokes in the first sort of 10 laps of the race, um, which uh, was a bit awkward. But, um, you know, in saying that, I think the situation was unfair on everyone, and that includes... Zach Best, because he did a great job on the weekend. Timely. I don't think you can argue against that. And qualifying seventh on the Sunday really showed that he was he was on it. But unfortunately, with the tyre situation, that Saturday performance does have that asterisk on it, just in the same way that when the Nissans won at Winton with different fuel, it was, it was tainted. So, yeah, that, that's really unfortunate. But I do absolutely commend Supercars and Dunlop for the way they went about fixing that issue. I mean, you, you mentioned it before, but for Kevin Fitzsimmons to personally go and drive overnight to Melbourne
1: and back to solve that, like he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for putting in that effort, don't you reckon? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's when I say it was nobody's fault. What I mean is they found themselves in a situation where they thought they had a solution, which was to use these older tyres. Um, because I think the point is that, I mean, perhaps they need to reach a point where they go, here's the wildcard allocation for each round. We need You need to be ordering tyres for the entire regular field plus the allocation, even if it means we end up with additional tyres. But that's not ideal for Dunlop either to have tyres that aren't being used sitting around. That's a cost and that's a, that's a cost in terms of having to store the tyres and all that sort of stuff They don't necessarily mean. So that's what I mean. I mean, I believe that Supercars wasn't overly impressed with Dunlop for, for getting into that situation, but... When I say it's nobody's fault, I don't see what Dunlop could necessarily do unless they have at the start of the season, here is exactly how many wildcards are going to be running. And we're seeing the wildcards running quite regularly now, so maybe we are getting to a point where you can extrapolate what the allocation for ties is going to be at all those um, events. Just want to touch on what you said about Zach Best. I mean, it, it it is a shame that it played out like that for him because, you know, as you said, he showed on the Sunday that he did have top 10 pace on the same Rubber. And I think it would have been better for his career if he had qualified in the top 10, you know, not on pole, but just qualified in the top 10 on Saturday without the question mark of the rubber because he really did a fantastic job. And it's just a shame that it played out that way. But I certainly agree that it's it's not ideal and it is a real shame that we ended up in that situation uh, in general.
2: So what's, uh, what happens with Zach? Best from here. We know he's going to co-drive with Thomas Randall at Bathurst, and all of a sudden that's looking like a pretty handy uh, handy duo, isn't it? Um, yeah. To have those guys together. But like the rumor's been around for months that Zach is going to be in the main game next year. It sounds like he has a contract with Tickford, but what exactly that um, entitles him to is up for a bit of debate. I mean, James Courtney was going really well on the weekend as well. Um, So it's not like a no-brainer to replace him, but surely Zach's going to be full-time.
1: Like it's just – it's going to happen, isn't it? I have a feeling it's going to happen in some way, shape, or form. I have a feeling that that is how uh, it's going to play out. That's the next logical step. That's the Tickford system. You know, we've seen – we saw this weekend Cam Waters notch up his 100th round start and he's come through that system. But the system – there needs to be an there needs to be an endpoint for it, and I think the team are pretty impressed with what Zach's doing, and I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see him in the main game full time next year.
2: Unfortunately, the Tickford system does often end up with uh, a mismatch of contracts to amount of cars available. We've seen before where they've had commitments to too many drivers, or or not enough wrecks, or whatever. But. Um, I'm We've sure they'll sort it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've seen, but seen it very recently. <laughs> Actually, before we move on from this, I think it also is worth giving a mention to uh, Zach Best's engineer on the weekend, Dylan Talapani who had uh, engineered Andre Heimgartner to that win at the Bend Yep. Last year, I reckon there was a bit of him in all of this performance as well, because um, yeah, clearly he knows uh, he knows what he's doing. He's got plenty of experience in the main game, but I reckon he's got a bit of a secret sauce or something for that venue
1: because um, that car was fast even when they were on the same tire. Yeah, no, absolutely. Before we move on from the bend, I had a chat with the always entertaining David Reynolds about his wild final race uh, and his take on all this tire controversy stuff. David, speaking to you for podcast feels kind of familiar. It's uh, your one. <laughs> um, uh, let's start let's go, with en- what's going on, Avil. Hey, let's start with the end of the weekend. Yeah. What on earth was that last race?
3: I mean, it was all going so good until Mate, it, it was, really wasn't. My car was amazing in the wet, and we prayed for rain and got delivered because mm-hmm. I qualified pretty much dead last. Well, it was I think dead exactly last. Dead exactly dead last, yep. last. And we were praying for rain because that's the one we needed it for. And I come with literally five minutes before the start. And I was like, yes, this is all on. <laughs> and it all went wrong before the start because um, when you're right at the back, like people, I don't know, they, there's ma- ma- massive Constantina effect. And I was the last car, just mind my own business. And then I, they all me in front of me. I smashed into Slade like completely unaware of what was going on in front of me. Yeah. And so I started the race with smoke, pissing off the car and it was, I thought I was going to have to retire then and there. And then I kept going, kept going, the smoke cleared up, and I'm like, oh, my car's pretty fast. So I started passing cars, and I pretty much went from last to ninth. And I was in front of Will Davison, who finished fourth. Yeah. And my car was, you know, very, very pacey. And the conditions were getting much worse. Like, I'd said on the radio, the conditions getting to wor- the conditions getting worse. My lap time started to fade, and I got around turn five. Into turn six, I noticed a yellow flag. I didn't know what the... That was four, yeah. and I saw nothing in front of me. And By the time I looked back, all the road was like a sheer sheen of water, and there was no wheel tracks, and I broke, and I just started spinning, and I was like, holy shit, this is going to end up badly. Yeah. Unfortunately, I hit Golding, who was in front of me. Yeah. If he wasn't there, it wouldn't have been so bad, so yeah. I went down and apologised to him and the t- crew and said, boys, I'm so sorry, that was...
1: How did, how did he take it?
3: Because he was having a blunder as well. Mate, he was going good, and that's why I feel so bad. For, yeah. You know, small teams like that, you know, he was running eighth or something, so that was an amazing job for them, and I just feel bad. I did see I feel bad for my crew because, you know, we've had a dismal weekend. I did see Matt Cook delivering some ice creams to Couchy before, so I guess relations yeah. between you guys aren't. Yeah, ma- aren't I, too bad. I saw Matty and gave him a hug, and, you know, I love, love Matty Cook, he's a legend. Um, I just feel bad. Man, I feel bad for them, but mainly for my crew because. No, we could have got we could, we could have got a good result out of a, a very very poor start how did you end up rear grid anyway how did we end up oh we had some dash dramas in 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 qualifying and I don't didn't have any lock lights and I locked a couple of brakes and just smoked too much time and drove like a bit of a dickhead yeah
1: we had a bit of excitement earlier in the weekend with some tyre batch issues kicking yeah, yeah. about. Yeah. What was your take on all that and with the solution in terms of sort of mixing it all up and giving everyone a mixed,
3: uh, a mixed hand, Well, the solution should have been from the start. Like, if they don't have tyres of the same quality and batch as everyone else, they shouldn't be allowed to compete. It's that simple. Don't try and cover up your tracks after you've f***ed it all up for all of us. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty appalling. Um, the unfortunate part was we told them... Everyone knew before practice started that, yeah. that batch was six or eight tenths faster than the current batch we are on, um, and they just chose nothing. Well, they obviously, you know, didn't choose to do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know what to say. I was, I've just been really annoyed all weekend. Just that the sport that I love so much can just have dramas like that. And then obviously my own performance has been off the pace, so that just makes me. Yeah it did, uh, yeah. Not happy nice, Chill out sorry. mate sand down next we'll, uh, Yeah Sandown's good there. Yeah I love Sandown um, Is it hard tyre or soft tyre? I think it's, it's soft tyre Yeah cool if What soft tyre do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you got the sticky batch right? Make sure you got the
1: whatever <laughs> The wild card batch no, I think uh, they chucked them out So no one can profit from them again Well, there's been movement in the supercars' silly season, or lack of movement actually, Uh, with Erebus re-signing Will Brown and Brody Kostecki for two more years. The deal ends speculation once and for all that Brown could defect to DJR and all but confirms that Will Davison will retain his seat at DJR, although it's been very obvious since Townsville that Willie D was going to be pretty safe. So there's really no great surprise there. Um, Stefan, I think this is a really good move for all concerned on both sides of the equation. Uh, What do you reckon?
2: Yeah, I think uh, I agree. It's all probably landed where it should. Uh, it's probably taken a little longer to get there than it could have. Um, and as you say, it sounded like Davo was locked in uh, a couple of weeks back at least. So the the Erebus stuff has sort of landed where it has pretty soon after. Um, I don't know. I feel like maybe DJR wanted to stretch out the uh, the uncertainty a bit because some drivers tend to perform a little better when they're out of contract. Uh, yep. What do you reckon?
1: Could be. <laughs> it could be the case. It's uh, We have seen it before where uh, nice, nice big, cushy contracts uh, don't necessarily lead to the best performance. But, um, but yeah, I, I just think that for, for uh, Anton Di Pasquale, this is a good move to have another season or two or whatever he gets with Will. I think it's a great move um, for Will Brown's development. I think that's a good sort of learning environment he's in there at the moment, Um, and you know, like you you look at Erebus and you look at those two drivers and go, they could, they could, you know, they could spring some surprises when we get into Gen three and that sort of stuff uh, at at some point next season. So I just think I just think it works for everybody the way it's going to play out.
2: Yeah, for sure. I reckon a team like Erebus is probably pretty well placed going into Gen 3 just with what that car's about, and it's a bit of a smaller, more nimble team than some others. Um, so, yeah, hopefully it does work out well for those guys. Like, clearly there was interest in Will Brown and Brody Kostecki from elsewhere. Like, there's no yeah. doubt about that. That wasn't yeah. all just smoke. There was a bit of fire going on there. For and sure. Bro- Brody always looked like he was going to stay, but even, uh, even him, there was uh, some others asking... Asking about that, and then Will Brown. I'm, I'm had not, a bit I'm not of convinced.
1: A- I'm not convinced. DJR didn't look at Brody as well, knowing what they know about the Gen Three car and all that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, so I think it uh, it's all worked out uh, to an extent. But with the weird thing about so Saturday was when Erebus announced these contract extensions. Saturday mm-hmm. about midday, but that morning, as you reported, Peter Addison, Boost Mobile had gone on socials and said he's out of sponsoring supercars and seemingly Erebus like that. Uh, The timing of that was very awkward. What's the go there?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. I mean, yeah, as you say, we've got – the team's got two drivers locked in for next season but not necessarily a main – Sponsor, You know, uh, Peter went on Instagram and he swore that he will pull everything at the end of uh, – everything from within supercars next season as part of his sort of ongoing rift with the new management. Um, it sort of feels like the straw that broke the camel's back was a photo of Barclay Nettlefold with Chaz Mossett and Nick Perkat at, at an Optus appearance. And the reason that's an issue is because Boost is the official telco of supercars. Um, So, yeah, if Additon goes through with it, it would mean pulling out of the naming rights backing at Erebus, the naming rights backing at the Gold Coast 500, um, and the official partnership with supercars, where things could potentially get a little sticky is that the Gold Coast deal was a two-year deal signed in 2021, but the 2021 Gold Coast event never happened. So it's feasible. We've seen with a lot of these deals that they've basically just been carried over and 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 the contract is being honoured. Um, this contract could be being honoured for 2022 and 2023. There could be an agreement that that is what is going to happen. So there's, there's the potential for things to get a little complicated and perhaps even legal um, in that area if 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 boost does want to go through with pulling everything out of supercars um Stefan i will say that we have seen boost pull out of supercars before and promptly resurface at the opening race of the of the next season um, but at the same time the whole Optus thing was tone deaf to say the very least from supercars or from 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 the chairman of supercars and i think i think Pete does have a fairly legitimate gripe here what do you make of it all
2: well if i was to have drawn up a Bingo card of ways that this Boost Erebus relationship could end. <laughs> I reckon Supercars owner appearing at Optus store probably wouldn't have been on it. So I'll I'll give Ado that that it's always something left field and unexpected. But um, yeah, I mean, again, take, taking what he said there at face value, like I feel for Erebus out of this because that's not their mess, um, oh, for and sure. they could be the ones that end up getting burnt the most out of it by losing their major sponsor. But um, I'm sure there's there's plenty of twists and turns to come out of this saga, and you know, yeah, it'll, it'll the show will continue this weekend, won't it? Because um, Addison will be up there at Queensland Raceway watching his Boost Camaro Trans Am car going around. <laughs>
1: Yep, well, yeah. Let's we can stick with the Erebus and Boost theme um, right now because the worst kept secret in motorsport for the last couple of weeks, at least, is out. It's been confirmed that Brody will take over the seat that Shane van Gisbergen was banned from taking in Trans Am at QR this weekend. Now the rollout of this thing, Stefan, was an absolute dog's breakfast, but not necessarily for the reason that people think. So just settle in for another long-winded explanation from me here. My apologies. Um, So the Friday before last, not last Friday, the one before, there was an embargoed release for the same day when out confirming that Brody would drive this Trans Am car. Um, Now, Auto Action decided to blaze ahead with the story before the embargo based on the fact they'd already had a sniff of it, which is pretty poor form because as frustrating as it is, we've all been beaten by an embargoed release plenty of times in our career and you just have to suck it up. Stefan, you'd know that as well as anybody. Um, Anyway, unrelated to that average bit of media work, the embargo release was later retracted and stayed retracted until yesterday, so like well over a week. Now, the rumour mill has been going crazy about how it was because supercars have been trying to get it blocked again. There have been articles published insinuating as much, but it's really just not the case. And that's not to say supercars didn't try and put some pressure on Erebus to put a stop to this. But from what I understand, Erebus was absolutely unswayed by any of that. The delay, it turns out, was a miscommunication with Brody's personal management, led by Nathan Kasia, as the deal was initially done between the Trans Am guys, Peter Addison, and Brody himself. And I think it's important to, to, to clarify that. Um, putting all that aside, Stefan, Brody might not quite be the draw card that, that SVG would have been at QR, but it's still a win for Trans Am and a win for that, for that um, Speed Series event, right?
2: Oh, for sure. This is a good solution for it. Like, clearly Brody has less star power than Shane, so it's uh, instantly a whole lot less political, uh, but he's still a mega talent. And I love the fact that not only have Erebus allowed him to do it, but it sounds like Barry Ryan's actually going to go up and engineer the car for him. Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. And, of course, like as we said before, Booster involved. So it's totally the opposite to uh, the Triple Eight uh, seemingly attitude towards Shane doing it. Um, but, yeah, again, like it would be great to see how he matches up against Nathan Hearn and, and all those guys. And from a Trans point of view, probably good to have a Camaro up there in the mix as well because a lot of that field seemed to have gravitated towards the Mustang after Aaron Seaton was pretty dominant there for a while, and it looks like a bit of a one-make series at the front. So, yeah, Brody's going to be a bit of a, a wild card in that with a Camaro.
1: I reckon I'd have a challenger if I was doing it. They're just so ugly in such a cool way they do look the, pretty good that'd be the go is there something 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 cool about it anyway finally on the local front Stefan the Adelaide 500 was formally launched earlier today uh, as expected s5000 uh, is on the bill that's um, probably the most interesting bit of news to come out of uh, out of the whole thing Stefan you've been campaigning for s5000 to be better utilized at big events Yeah, we've talked about the way they've struggled with grids and we've talked about what the future of that category has been and your solution has been, Maybe use it less, but use it at the right events. And I think we're going to see a pretty heavy supercars-focused calendar for that series next year. So I think I think you're going to get your way.
2: Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's going to give that category every chance, uh, like we talked about before, uh, every chance to be what it can be. But it's such a funny business, this stuff with supercars and ARG. Like they're at the front of the divorce court and all of a sudden they're effectively, I don't know, buying a house together. This is, yeah. uh, this is weird, isn't it?
1: It is weird, although like there was two separate media releases with two different, you know, embargo times or lack of embargo times today go out. So it still feels a little disjointed, let's say that much.
2: Mm, Although we should say like for the Adelaide 500, that's a uh, separately promoted event. So, um, yeah, it's no surprise to see them on that because it's not a supercars uh, card.
1: Yep, yeah, no, Absolutely. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Alexander Rossi won the IndyCar race on the IMS road course ahead of Christian Lundgaard, while Will Power now leads the series again after recovering from a Turn 1 fracker that dropped him to 11th to finish 3rd. Scott McLaughlin finished 4th. Tyler Reddick won the NASCAR Cup Series race at the same circuit a day later in overtime. In London, there were Formula E wins for Jake Dennis and Lucas Degrassi as Stoffel van Dorn put one hand on the title with a 2nd and a 4th. Rafael Marcello, Jules Gounon and Daniel Junkadella took a first victory for Mercedes at the Spa 24 hours since 2013 in their French Auto Sport promotion AMG. Max Verstappen took an unlikely win in the Hungarian Grand Prix from 10th on the grid ahead of Mercedes drivers Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Ferrari, meanwhile, missed the podium altogether with some questionable strategy calls. Carlos Sainz was 4th and a three-stopping Charles Leclerc 6th. Daniel Ricciardo finished 16th after copying a five-second penalty for turning Lance Stroll around. Aussie Jack Doohan and Theo Porcher won the Formula 2 races, and the Formula 3 wins went to Kyō Collette and Alexander Smolia. Stefan, the F1 title fight looks about as alive as the supercars title fight, but that IndyCar title fight looks like a beauty. Will Power seems like he's in a pretty good headspace. Even if it's not all about car speed and winning races, it looks like kind of a, I don't know, championship year maybe?
2: Yeah, it's been interesting to see such a different Will Power this year. Like, he's always been... Pretty win or bust just going out there flat out every session. But, you know, now at what is he, forty one years old and been doing it for like fifteen years in IndyCar, he's all of a sudden he's really calmed down and uh, he's still fast obviously, but he's just scoring points all the time and and looking pretty good for the championship. Like he's put himself in a great spot leading with with four races to go. Um, you know, Ericsson, Newgarden, Dixon, O'Ward, they're all still right in it. But um It'd, it'd just be so great to see uh, see Will win another championship, I reckon, because um, for the career he's had, probably one IndyCar title and one Indianapolis 500 win doesn't feel like it sort of does him justice.
1: Okay. It's Castro mailbag time. Uh, Ben Grimer says that fogging windscreens continues to be an issue in supercars and asks what tricks teams use and if there are any plans to improve the fogging situation with the Gen 3 cars. Uh, Stefan, I believe you have some answers for our friend Ben.
2: Yeah. Well, for Gen 3, they're going back to a heated screen, which is something they, they haven't had in the Car of the Future cars. So it'll still be a polycarbonate screen, but with the heating elements running through the Polycarbonate sandwich, so mm-hmm. it adds a bit of cost, but you know, surely that's worth it if the driver can just flick a switch to stop the fogging and actually see where they're going. Because at yep. the moment, you know, the teams they tend to apply a bit of that anti-fog treatment to the inside of the screen, and then mm-hmm. there's all the differences team to team with cockpit ventilation and the solutions around how they blow air onto the screen, and the cars are all sealed sort of a little bit differently too. So it's. Um, there's a lot of variables in all that, and then um, yeah, the I guess the last resort for this stuff is is always the uh, handheld uh, squeegee, which we saw uh, <laughs> Macaulay Jones try to use on the weekend, and he got a mechanical black flag for it. So seeing those guys argue that out was uh, was a bit comical. But actually, you might you might like this. So there's actually a rule in there that specifically refers to any equipment with a mass of over 300 grams in the cockpit having to be fastened in such a way that it can withstand a 25G impact. Oh, wow. So um, I'm not sure how much a little squeegee weighs, and I think um, in this case it was just a general safety call. Like They might not necessarily have uh, tried to invoke that particular rule, but that was put in there after Slady's big crash um, last year at Bathurst because uh, when he hit the fence up there at the elbow... Apparently the telemetry modem in that car actually went flying, like when it okay. hit the fence. So race control didn't actually get the signal about it um, being a major accident from the data recorder because the thing was flying through the cabin at the time. So um, yeah, that's a that's an interesting little one that's in there. But it's it's always we saw it at Bathurst a few years ago with Triple Eight. Like um, they're having the bloody squeegee in trying to do the inside of the windscreen is uh, is not a good look, is it?
1: No, not really. I tell you what, we're about to move on to our Castrol Stars of the Week, and I might have to change mine to give it to you, Stefan, for digging up that little uh, morsel of information about things being fastened in the cockpit. That's uh, fascinating stuff. Let's, um, let's. I'm not going to do that. Let's do our proper Castrol <laughs> Stars of the Week now. Who you you, put, you
2: already promised it to Davo, didn't you? <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know. I know. Yeah, I can't. I'm just. I'm too generous with my stars sometimes. Stefan, who have you got this week?
2: Well, I'm actually going to go with a very collective star of the week, but I wanted to give a, a shout out to all the officials at Tailand Bend, particularly the corner workers who are out there waving the flags. Like, I know how bitterly cold it can be out there, especially with that uh, chill factor and then then the rain. Um, so to have people volunteering to be out there in the elements you know, to keep the sport going around, I reckon we all uh, owe them a debt of gratitude. And you sort of think of uh, those guys and girls when you, when you see the conditions that bad.
1: Absolutely. Talk about that. That is being very generous with your stars, spreading (laughs) them around the entire officials group, Um, but very deserving because it looked pretty miserable out there. Yes. I am going to go with Will Davison for my Castrol star of the week this week. I really enjoyed his, uh, his race three drive on Sunday evening. Um, He was backwards three times in that race. Still salvaged fourth, um, pretty remarkable stuff on a difficult day. They'd struggled earlier in the day with, you know, Davo making a mistake in quality for race two and all that sort of stuff. So he was pretty up and about by Sunday Arvo or Sunday evening after that um, after that drive. Just before we go, uh, it's the last couple of days to enter, the last day to enter uh, the Castrol Racing Helmet Design Competition. Uh, To enter, you just need to head to Castrol Racing Facebook page, save the template, and then get creative and design your Castrol helmet. Um, You can design it in Photoshop or print it off and pull out the crayons and send your design directly to the Castrol Racing Facebook page. The best design will win a Castrol merch pack with a jacket, shirt, and hat, and entries for that close tomorrow. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news.
0: Hey, it's Chaz Mustard here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.